Welcome to Africa Stories in the 55. I'm Laura Angela Bagnetto. We have a very special guest today, Nigeria's Ayobami Adebayo, the author of Stay With Me, her first novel out this year from Cannon Gate Books. This powerhouse of a story has been shortlisted for the 2017 Bailey's Women's Prize for Fiction, set in Ilesa, Nigeria, with the backdrop of the Babangida regime of the late 1980s. Ayobami tells the story of Yejide and Akin and all the issues that come between them. Ayobami spoke to us from Lagos, and we'll let her tell you what the book is about. I'd say it's a love story. It's perhaps an ill-fated love story. It's uh, two people who are very much in love with each other at the beginning of the book, but are also very lonely for different reasons. It's that they've come into this marriage thinking that um, it's going to fix them in some way. But when that doesn't happen, they realize that they continue to be lonely in many ways. And all the pain that comes from trying to hold things together and the fact that they're both afraid for different reasons, I came more than Yejide um, of losing the relationship or being vulnerable with each other. So I'd say that um, in many ways, it's a love story. Well, there there are so many themes in, in this book from relationships, love, even health issues, culture, politics. It takes place in the late 80s in Osun State, and Yejide can't get pregnant by her husband, Akin. So Mumi, her mother-in-law, pushes Akin to take a second wife. Uh, so you have Yejide, a modern woman who went to university, dealing with powerful customs of Yoruba culture. Yes, I mean, so you have the setup in the late 80s. It's an interesting time in Nigerian history because it's a time of transition in many ways. And even culturally, you have Yejide who comes into the marriage. And even Aki expecting that they're going to have a monogamous relationship and they would probably be the first in the aligned to do that because they both come from polygamous families and they come up against this issue of not having children. And for them, in the time that they're living and the culture that they're living, the purpose of marriage is to have children. Whether you love each other was not as important at the end of the day if you didn't then have any children come out of the marriage. So they have to push back against this reality and all that it means for people who grew up in this culture and who come to realize that it doesn't quite work for them as individuals. And also in some ways they've bought into this. So they need to make this journey where they try to bring themselves out and try to make decisions that are right for them and may not necessarily be what is acceptable in the community. Akin, he doesn't say much when this is put on him by his mother, Mumi. He doesn't say anything, which initially I think the reader would be a little bit angry because Yejide is such a sympathetic character. Yes. And I think for him, he's got secrets. And I think at this time, he's terrified that if he pushes back against what his mother is trying to do, all of the secrets will come spilling out. So he tries to do what he thinks is best. So he marries a new wife and he asks her to stay outside of the marriage. But even if he didn't have things he was trying to hide, I think that the 
pressure that comes from family members can be so intense that it's difficult even for men to push back against it. I, I heard about a couple a couple of years ago who literally had to just pack up in the middle of the night and leave Nigeria because they'd been married for about two decades and didn't have any children. And that was the solution to it. They just left because the two of them couldn't cope anymore. And I think because the man was not ready to marry another wife. So it's it's a bit difficult to push against this bond, especially it's his mother and there's this bond and there's this sort of emotional blackmail that the mother holds all sorts of things over his head and says, I did this for you, therefore you must give me a grandchild and I'm not asking you for too much. And I think it's a bit challenging when you're in an environment where this is not just permissible, but in some ways it's expected that what what arguments are you going to bring to the table, especially when you then don't have children and you also want children and everybody thinks you should have them? You can't hate Akeem because you get his point of view, which is very rare, I have to say, that you get you have too many <coughs> characters and you you hear what he has to say. He he has his internal yeah. voices on the page, which makes such a difference. Um and you can't hate him yeah. even though you're angry at what that what he didn't do. I mean, I think that was very important to me when I started writing the book, that I wanted the reader to have his perspective. Because if it was just Yejide's story, it would be a very different novel, I think. I think it would be good, but it wasn't the book I wanted to write. I wanted to write what it meant for both of them. And I wanted to look at the fact that when we have this rigid definitions of marriage, rigid definitions of what family is and how things should run, it's not just women who suffer in Many instances, even the men in such situations who we sometimes assume enjoy so much of what's going on, suffer in different ways. And it's something that I had seen happen when I was growing up. So when I started working on the novel initially, I did have good voices, but I first had Yejide's narrative for the first 50% of the novel, and then I had Akin's narrative for the next 50%. And then I realized that by the time the reader got to him, they were already so disgusted by him and hated him that they didn't want to hear what he had to say. So I had then changed the structure because it was very important for me that even if the reader didn't agree with him, didn't like him, they could in some way understand some of the decisions that he makes, as despicable as they miss him. He has to play both sides, but so does Yejide, because when she deals with, quote unquote, accepting the second wife into their marriage, there's a lot of talk. She has a hair salon. There's a lot of talk there. There's pressure not only within the family, but in in the society that, that she's living in at this time. They're dealing not just with the expectations of their family, but they're also aware that their colleagues, their neighbors, their friends have expectations. And maybe one of you remember when they do have their first child and they have the naming ceremony. And there's a part that's narrated from Hacking's perspective, which is where we get to hear that his colleagues have also been making suggestions to him, even though he doesn't mention that earlier. So now that he has a child, they're talking to him and he remembers how before they have a child, they were suggesting to him that why doesn't he marry another wife? Why doesn't he cheat on his wife and have a child outside of the marriage and all of that? So it's it's quite um, quite a pushback, you know. And for Yejide also, by the time she gets pregnant or she goes to the hospital and goes for antenatal classes. Even the nurses, uh, there's this um, 
sort of comradeship that comes where they're so happy for her because they know the kind of pressure that she must have been under. Even people who are not intimate with her feel a sense that, oh, finally, you you can come out of from under this pressure. So it's something that was very real. And even now it's, it's quite real. I remember one of my friends got married a couple of years ago. And I remember when she told me she was pregnant, I, I was relieved and I didn't even know until I, she said it that I had been a bit anxious about this because you, you sort of know what's going to happen. You have a sense of the way things might play out within the first five years if there's no child. Yejide has an issue with a false pregnancy uh, mm. which, as you're reading the book, you think, to be honest, that's what the book is going to be about, the, these issues that she carries with her and this problem. It's pretty heavy because this happens in real life and the pressure to have a child. Yes, and I think that that intense psychological pressure sometimes does produce that kind of thing. And I remember growing up that I would hear stories about women who were accused of <laughs> hiding pillars in their stomach or having a calabash and people would start saying that maybe you have to 10 months and 11 months and one year and the woman doesn't have any child. And I think by the time I became a teenager, I started wondering, what if there was no pillow? What if actually these women were pregnant or thought they were pregnant and just didn't have the children? So by the time I started working on this book, I then did some research and realized that this is actually a medical condition that sometimes happens for women who are under such intense pressure um, from other people or from themselves to conceive. Your book... I think will open a lot of conversations, not only on the continent, but I think I think in society in general. And it's such a great perspective because you have both sides. What really got you started on changing the characters, putting both their sides in? I mean, in terms of the craft of the book. The very first draft was had the two characters, but the structure was very different. So you did the story came first and... I remember reading it again and discovering that by the time I read Akin's part, which was the final part of the book, I I I, I didn't believe him. I didn't trust him. But I, I kept working on that structure very well, thinking that I could fix it that way. And um, I think I was in a residency somewhere in the U.S. when I sort of realized that it was just not going to work. I think it was one of the most difficult parts of the book, of writing the book rather, was figuring out what each person will say when and what will come before what. But I think the breakthrough moment came when I realized that I, I really didn't have to figure it out. What I needed to do was listen to the characters and write what they will talk about. And I think hacking was very important in terms of the structure and how um, the plot played out because he's a very reticent character. He is not going to talk about things unless he feels that he absolutely has to. So he was essential in terms of peace in the plot because I would go back to him and just listen and say, okay, what are you talking to me about now? And write about that. And there's this chapter towards the end that I think was, was quite difficult. And it's a chapter where she confronts him, where Yejiri confronts Aki and they're watching TV. The elections are about to take place and he's in the living room and he, she confronts him. And I remember writing the chapter and sort of feeling like you need to talk to her now, you need to tell her everything. But I think that was the moment that I realized that he was never going to make himself that vulnerable. And that was, is, is, I think it's one of his greatest weaknesses as a person, that even when he's confronted with the truth about what has been going on in his marriage, he's not ready to 
affirm it by repeating it and is only able to do that while talking directly to the reader, not even to his wife. I was wondering if you would be willing to read like a minute or two of your book. Although sleep stays away, every night I shut my eyes and pieces of the life I left behind come back to me. I see the batik pillowcases in our bedroom, our neighbors and your family, which from misguided period I thought was also mine. I see you. Tonight I see the bedside lamp you gave me a few weeks after we got married. I could not sleep in the dark, and you had nightmares if we left the fluorescent lights on. That lamp was your solution. You bought it without telling me you'd come up with a compromise, without asking me if I wanted a lamp. And as I stroked its bronze base and admired the tinted glass panels that formed its shade, you asked me what I would take out of the building if our house was burning. I didn't think about it before saying, Her baby, even though we did not have children yet. Something, you said, not someone. But you seemed a little hurt that when I thought it was someone, I did not consider rescuing you. That's all the time we have today. Thanks for listening to Africa Stories in the 55. I'm Laura Angela Bagnetto. What are you reading? Let us know. Write to us at storiesinthe55 at rfi.fr. That's storiesinthe55 with 55 as numbers at rfi.fr. Goodbye. Goodbye.